Welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal, episode 38. For this episode, we're going to be doing our final summary of the, like, our joint top ten of the year. Mm. So, um, basically, me and Rob usually take a list of our, like, top 20 or so, rank them, and then combine those numbers to sort of give our top ten. Our taste is similar enough. It has always worked out so far. The yeah, number one yeah. is an album we both really like. So there's a couple in here that are more ones Rob's pushed up the list and ones I've pushed up the list, but yeah. I don't think there's any in this list that neither of us like. So think, hopefully think, it shouldn't be an argument. Yeah, this is interesting. This is the, of the first the three years we've done this, this is the first time where we haven't agreed unanimously on the number one, but we've both had it within the top five. Well, number one was number one for me and number two for you. So yeah, 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 that's quite reasonable. Still yeah. very close. And I think this year as well has had like much like 2016 has had a good core at the top where. Yeah. They're all fucking brilliant albums. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like the the lower down stuff is a lot of this has just come out, and I think it's really good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how that that opinion changes over time. So, the first album we're we're going to jump into this is number ten. This is the uh, sixth album by the Funeral Doom band Evoken. Um, I was sort of saying to Rob, I think we've been saying it a bit this year of like I've noticed that Funeral Doom and the kind of really extreme end of Doom. There's been a lack of releases from the mm. classic bands for ages. Like I think this is uh, Vocan's first since like 2013. I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. At, and the at only Shambles. other one this year was um, Mournful Congregation. Yeah, or something as well in the middle of the year. So yeah, it's the, those are the only two which really stood out to me. Yes, yeah, the old core of bands like Ahab and Esoteric and all those. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, how do you say the title for this one, Rob? Um, Hypnagogia, I think. <laughs> I'm probably saying that wrong. I've never heard it said before. But it is the transition state between wakefulness to sleep. So it's that stage where you're sort of not conscious of what's going on. Um, and the full album is about... It's a story of a soldier in World War I um, dying in the trenches. So it's it's doing that thing, and I think we'll come to this later in the list, uh, where I think metal can handle this sort of subject matter in a way that no other music genre can. Mm. Because the sadness and the foreboding nature and just, you know, the pure bleak nature of what is happening here you can cover in other musical genres as well as metal but metal is the only one which can really get the crushing nature of what a war really is and what being in it's like i think there's something about metal being one of the most extreme genres where you can only get that sense and that emotional weight through this style of thing so it fits so nicely into funeral doom yeah yeah exactly um for those you you aren't familiar with the genre the kind of big poster child of it at the moment are Bell Witch, but actually mm. things don't need to be as slow and long form as that. Like yeah. for me, like a lot of what really makes up this kind of end of doom is that kind of interesting melding between the kind of more um, kind of upsetting long form elements of death metal mm. with with kind of that old Sabbath influence and and then then elements of black metal as well in there. It's, it's kind of it's a nice muting point between all of that. But where one of the key components removed that's quite common with the rest of that is just a bit less pace. Although Evoken have always been really good for changing up the pace constantly. Mm. Like I remember hearing in interviews with them, they always say, like, well, we're a band who have like a lot of riffs. We don't just do one thing for ages. Like, mm. like, like a band like Bell, which do that kind of sound very well, where it's like, you know, one riff and they'll slowly build it for yeah. An absolute age, whereas Evoken, it's actually just loads of riffs, so just quite slow riffs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think the other thing that this takes in is with if you think about traditional Doom, you might think of Candlemas or something. In a sense, most Funeral Doom is less operatic than that, it's mm. more mournful and sort of on the low end, and then it often brings in these, you know, death metal vocals as well as a counterpoint to your more sort of 
chanting style, or even sort of operatic cleans, but nowhere near as dramatic and bombastic as something like Candlemas might be. So it takes that much sort of sadder, more mournful end of the spectrum. Yeah, and John Paraziso's vocals are absolutely excellent mm. with his band. Like, so I, I've been a big fan of these guys um, for a while. Like, um, their previous album, Atramores, is incredible. Um, Antithesis of Light is kind of, mm. I'd say, if if you were someone trying to get into Funeral Doom, that's the first album to go to because yeah. it's just a perfect, like, just a perfect image of what that can be. Like, these guys so well managed to nail an atmosphere of foreboding horror for mm. and they and they can do it for a solid hour with no let up. This is like Evoken are always quite an extreme listening experience because it's just a crushing weight of emotion. Yeah. Which yeah. I think that's why Doom is absolutely brilliant. It does that better than almost any other genre of just mm. hitting <laughs> hitting you emotionally and just nailing that for so long. Yeah, and I guess where that's where you were talking about earlier it has elements of black metal. I think Funeral Doom really does like play into that atmosphere. It creates this sort of sonic feeling of the whole thing, bringing all these elements together. And this album does that really, really well. And there's a few additions to it, which is a bit different from what Evoken have done before, which fits into that idea. So they've got violins on this album. Yes, which really yeah. really brings in that sort of sorrow. It, it sort of grounds it within the time period it's talking about as well in World War One. And then there'll be like weird violin sounds over some bits, over some of the bits which are a bit heavier or a little bit faster, which isn't fast, but is a bit faster. <laughs> You'll have, you know, these sort of screeching sounds coming off the violin and it just helps set that atmosphere. Add to that that they've brought in these chanting sections and they've had they have a couple of additional vocalists who do some extra performances on here. Um, and we were just chatting about this before we started this episode, and it almost reminded me of like a funeral doom version of Devin Townsend. <laughs> He's got these like big sort of chanting sections, and Ceremony of Bleeding is probably the best song for that section. And I know a lot, well, at least a lot of people I saw in you know comments sections and reviews of the album didn't really get on with this bit, but I really like it, and I think it's all part of this album makes itself a bit more open. Um, it's dark and foreboding, but it's not quite as crushing as other funeral doom. I mean, Bellwitch, they're slower, but they're just crushing. You know, yeah, The yeah. weight of everything in that. Whereas this album opens itself up a bit more, brings in these sonic elements like violins and like these clean chanted vocals and sort of lets you sit in it a bit more, mm. even if it's not the slowest and most crushing funeral doom thing you've ever listened to. Because I haven't actually seen much written about this, but I can understand mm. why some fans might have had maybe a negative reaction to it. Because it's probably the cleanest album that I've yeah. ever done. Like yeah. The production's very... Like very easy to engage with. You don't have the guitars are very clear. Like I mean, this yeah. still sound heavy as hell. But personally, I don't think it takes away. And I was saying to Rob, this, what I get um, kind of reminded of, especially in a lot of these sections where they move away from the more death metal influence stuff, is kind of echoes of like Teal Matt's Wild Honey, mm-hmm. like that kind of um, sort of very subtle um, mellow prog, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, like. Evoken have always had a bit of a prog influence, but it's really cool to see that a bit more on display here. And I think, yeah, maybe people might be pissed off it's not quite as heavy, but the thing is, these guys have been sitting on an album for five years. I'm mm. glad they've evolved the sound and done something a yeah. bit new. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really nice to see these old bands trying out new things, and particularly on this one, the sort of the solos and the guitar melodies are absolutely beautiful. They're so, mm. so well done. Um and they have just that right level of, we're going to repeat this melody for this amount of time. Because in Funeral Doom, with long albums, you can easily get stuck into just being stuck on the same thing forever. But I really like how this album sort of moves throughout it and these different motifs sort of come and go. 
and they vary the pace as well. Generally, it's quite a mid-paced album, yeah, but yeah. you will have some much slower bits. And I wouldn't ever say it really gets fast, but it will vary that, and it will vary that with the emotion and the feeling, and they will drive that a lot of the time through the melodic guitars, but also through the vocals. And there's some great bits where you'll switch from harsh to clean in the same line, which I really quite like. It yeah, really helps yeah. drive home some of these key points. Definitely. Uh, another thing really worth mentioning is it's got an excellent album cover of like this yeah. owl sitting on a broken barbed wire fence. Do you know who did the album cover? I don't actually know. Same guy did Infrared Horizon by oh, Artificial Brain, yeah. which I, is one of my favourite covers. Yeah, like. from last year, I think that was up there with Mirror Reaper. But um, yeah, this guy's certainly becoming one of those people who's just known for doing amazing covers. Yeah, he's, he's done it. Like he's got a few others that uh, mm. he was lost his album last year. Had an amazing cover mm. as well. But yeah, it just I, I think with this kind of band, it really helps having a decent album cover because. <laughs> such atmospheric music yeah it, it, it is that atmosphere and when you look at something like this you see the barbed wire but but at the same time I think that the touch of having the owl on it gives you the hint of that sort of beauty that's within the album it's mm. not just going to pummel you and go look this is war war is terrible it's going to explore the sort of sadness of it yeah yeah and, and as well it's quite an accessible album and it's not overtly long I, mm. I do like it when bands like this don't feel the need to fill up to the absolute 80 minute mark yeah. like the last <laughs> the last second you can get on CD it's, yeah. it's only 8 tracks and it's only an hour long it's quite mm. digestible and I think yeah if Oakland just making an album that's ever so slightly more accessible yeah. it's not a bad idea because they've got this solid back catalogue of like there's at least 4 really great extreme albums in there mm. It's something slightly moving away from that. It's hardly a misstep for them, I would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, and, and as well, I mean, I mentioned this with most Funeral Doom albums we cover, but there's an amazing restraint, particularly in the drums, because mm. um, because it does still have this heavy edge to it in the vocals and the guitars, but the drums provide that just, like, sort of slow, diabolical, like, crushing bit in the background, which can really bring things to the much heavier points on the album. And the ability to, in all those gaps not go for a drum fill is I think it's so tempting to try to do it but again it's a really great skill I think funeral um, funeral doom drummers have of just being able to sit there and like wait out those breaks to have everything sort of chug along and create that atmosphere
So if you listened like through the year, me and Rob, I think about the middle of the year, did an episode on like the local Bristol scene and how good it's been getting in recent mm. years. So only fitting we actually have something from the scene uh, in our top ten. Uh, and then at number nine, this is Oak Hearts, a parallel to the endless dream. Oak Heart have been around for about six seven years something like that now yeah so they're, they're, this is their debut album but they released an EP in 2014 and I, I saw them I think a couple of years after that one of the metals to the masses hit which they won mm. and, and a very well deserved win I think at that point um, but there's been quite a lot of changes since then and comparing that EP to this album there's a lot of those elements there of this sort of I guess this like technical but very progressive brutality mm. and that's really shifted up and seeing that transition towards the album we're about to talk about is, is really, really cool. Yeah, so um, sound-wise, I'd say these guys are somewhere in that vein of like that kind of nevermore, like, mm. like really heavy prog metal but then almost tending towards like death metal in places. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the lineup is just two people, so it's Ollie Medlow on drums and Max Medlow on vocals, guitar, bass, and also uh, mixing mass production. Yeah. <laughs> so you're very much, uh, yeah, doing a lot of the work here. Mm. So yeah, it, it has that sort of like techie prog feel to it. Um, but the thing that I really like about this, and I think one of the things that's massively changed since the last EP, is that it's constantly moving and shifting mm. and like taking you on slightly unexpected directions. There's loads of these tiny little guitar fills that pepper through the riffs. Mm. So like even when you do have a riff that goes on for, you know, a set amount of time, there's these weird little derisions from it which are sitting around in there. And same with the bass as well. And it will constantly shift to something new. And the drums beneath provide this amazing groove. It's it's one of those things I think with tech that it can sometimes lose that live sort of groove like feel where you sort of really get into it but the drums here do a really great job of providing a solid basis for all of it it never sort of gets lost in being really technical and going all over the place yeah yeah i like as well like there isn't a huge focus on solos it's way more little lead passages yeah. like for it's just it's a super riffy album there yeah. is yeah. there are thousands of riffs on yeah. it like, <laughs> and as well it has like that thing i really like from this kind of band where you've got one guy doing all the guitar work where mm. the bass still sits in a really interesting yes. position and yeah, is yeah. well composed. It's not just, you know, just holding down the low end. Like, yeah. there's really complex bass work as well. Because there are moments on this, like I think um, Celestial Pathway is a good example, where there's these melodies which almost feel like gore guts. You know, there's these weird sections to it. And while that's going on, the bass like, sits really clearly in the middle mm. and you can hear exactly what it's doing. Um, and obviously, it's very well produced on the rest of the album. You can hear it really clearly. But there's these certain parts where it really gets a chance to shine. And I really like it when bands take the time to let every instrument shine on the album. Yeah, yeah. The thing we should get into is Max's vocals, because they're, they're obviously like the yeah. first thing that will really have note on this. So he's quite an interesting style. He's a very high, like, can do these really high pitched kind of cleans. Like, mm. I reference ne- Nevermore, but I yeah. almost get more of like a kind of old Watchtower vibe from yes. it, where yes. it's that kind of. Because the riffing is so complex, and I think there's like a lot of time signature stuff going mm. on there, the vocal melodies are bizarre. And yeah. at first passing, <laughs> you're, you're kind of like, what the fuck is going on here? Yeah. Then, yeah. But then as you get more into it, like, I don't know, they really work, but it's an album that takes time to get your head yeah. around. I, I found them to be possibly one of my favourite bits of the album, because yeah. It's, yeah. Just, it's just a very unique way of doing this. And um, 
there's a lot of sort of uh, layering with it where you'll have one which is the super high sort of thing that really reminds me of Watchtower. Yeah. And then you have the bits which are still high vocals, but they're not quite the, the sort of screaming side of it. And those together create this really interesting sort of dynamic alongside these technical riffs. And the fact that they're, they sort of sit wherever they can get in amongst all the other stuff that's going on. Yeah. And it yeah. provides these really interesting like different punches at different points in the songs. So the whole thing just feels really fresh and unique from the way the vocal rhythms are phrased throughout it. Yeah, and then then moments where it just descends when the riffs get super heavy, mm. just puts on a proper death metal voice, yeah. just, yeah, just yeah. for a bit more variation. Like, yeah, and then say with this album, it's definitely it's a headphone album because yes. they do so much good stuff with panning certain parts of the vocals and certain parts of the guitar left to right, and it's. And when listening in that way, mm. you just get more of a sense of all the stuff going on. And it, and it feels like a sort of an experience that's all around you. You know, there's constantly things going on and these vocals are shifting all over the place. And I think um, the way that they've done the vocals, the way they've put the variations in, into it is really nice for something that's quite technical. Because sometimes that can lose a bit of, I guess, like charisma almost. Yeah, Like yeah. something up front, which is, you know, directing you and showing you around. And the vocals are nothing if not like really sort of charismatic and bombastic and up there. And just make, yeah, just making you experience the riffs in a completely different way as well. If it was all with, you know, you can imagine a, just a sort of standard death metal vocals over all of this, the riffs would feel very different. Yeah. And yeah. the whole thing would feel different. And the fact that they've gone and tried to do something interesting and creative with the vocals, and I, I think it works spectacularly, is, is really great and quite brave as well. You yeah, see, a lot yeah. of people wouldn't get on with that, but. Yeah, d- definitely. I think it, this is an album where I think will divide some people, but personally, yeah, it definitely connected with me very quickly. The mm. other really cool stuff, um, in the middle of the album, we get a guest solo from Conor McGoran of, I think he's on the final Zerath album. Yeah. yeah. And doing this ludicrously technical <laughs> solo. <laughs> yeah. but, but still like really melodic and interesting, but it, it is just like, because previously there hasn't been... There are leads and like there are solos on this, but this is definitely a good centre point to the album. Mm. Like, yeah, this this ridiculously over the top bit of guitaring, and then coming out of that song, I think it's around this point in the album. Suddenly, jazz. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. There's all these other influences in there. I think that's yeah, where you get the progressive element coming from. Is that it constantly feels like it is shifting between styles. But it does that stuff which all, well, basically very well, good progressive music does where it makes that transition sort of feel thematically appropriate. Yeah, yeah. And even when it does sort of come a bit out of nowhere, there's something which has sort of prepped you for it. It doesn't feel like they've just switched for the sake of switching. You know, there is something in there which drives the music as a whole forwards. Yeah, because it, like, although suddenly jazz, like, <laughs> it actually comes out of the jazz, like, quite, like, it's quite a smooth transition back yeah. into the rest of the album. Yeah, the different one of these bands we've been listening to, I'm like, I really want to know what your influence Paul is because yeah, yeah. on first like going for it I couldn't say what bands they really love to no, get I this sound right. yeah, which yeah. is really cool from a debut to have a sound where you're like I, ca- I can't see that you're directly influenced by yeah. one band like, yeah and the best thing you can get is that oh, it's sort you know one element of it like the vocals sort of sound like Watchtower but then <laughs> you know that, that could have come from all sorts of areas and it's just that unique combination of things which creates something where you're like I don't really know what you're doing here, but I really like that. Yeah, so like the only criticism I already have of this are like the production is a little bit rough, but then it's like it's a self release but Yeah. And at first go at doing so much of this stuff that yeah. it's spectacularly well done considering. And now they've got this to build on. I can't wait to hear what they do mm. next with mm. the sound. I would um I would put the vocals up a little bit. I think really? I, yeah. I, I think they could well, at least the clean vocals I think could do coming up a tiny little bit in the mix. It's a really subtle thing, but 
I really loved them, so I'd, I'd like to see that take slightly more centre stage. Yeah, I also wonder as well if they're going to bring this back as a live thing, because... I'd love to see how this works that live. Would be, that would be spectacular to see it live, actually. Yeah. Also, just like, now now would be a real competition between them and Body Harvest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who, who could win yeah. metal yeah. to masses? Like, yeah, yeah, Body Harvest would, are our other local <laughs> amazing death metal band. Which would actually make it a legitimate competition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> list is by far the one I came to like last and mm. and if I'm being totally honest still haven't truly digested this is size heir to despair on spine farm records which came out like late November I think mm. at least it's sometime in November but um if you don't know Psy this is their 12th album they are about started off as like black metal kind of venom worship yeah and have evolved into Black metal venom worship with more and more weird prog yes. bits bolted on. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's got odder and odder and odder. I think a nice way to start with this album actually is first to say that it has a fantastic album cover. It really um, does. <laughs> you've got to look it up because it's one of those ones that you look at it at first and think, 
oh, it's just a sort of nicely painted picture of a woman watering some flowers. And then as you look at it more, you notice more and more weird little things in it. Like the flowers she's watering are dead. There's bits of glass all over the floor. It looks like there might be blood on her apron. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then there's a weird shadow of a man in the background in one of the other rooms. And then you were just saying that some of the pictures have been torn up as well. Yeah, there's like on pictures the on the wall in the background. It, it's the, and this, this kind of perfectly sums up kind of size sound of exactly, like yeah. on face like you're like okay I kind of get this and then the more you dig you're like no this is weird this is really <laughs> yeah. it's really yeah. quite upsetting like uh, so with this album it's like if you know any of their stuff quite well we covered Grave Ward mm. uh, about a year back Grave Ward was far rougher uh, around the edges and sounded like this far more raw album whereas this is now back to the really kind of neat production like sound wise it's very similar to their 10th album, Insomnophobia. Mm. And and actually, it's got a lot of similar elements. Like, Insomnophobia was this kind of concept album about dreams and nightmares. And it did this thing where every track, um, as it ended, went into strange kind of like sound effecty noises and uh, yeah, odd improvised yeah. music bits. This has some of that again. Oh, yeah, and, yeah definitely. And, and it means more so, that whereas Graveward felt like 10 individual tracks, this is far more one very confusing piece yeah and I think the sort of central point of it which when you and because the, and there's so much to delve into listening to this and I think you know because it's a late release neither of us had fully had time to dissect it because it is going to take a long time yeah but yeah. it sort of bases itself around these like really fast thrashy black metal kind of riffs which almost have like a new wave of British heavy metal feel to them in some way yeah, yeah. and then you've got these like fast black metal vocals in there as well and then you'll have you'll have these riffs that are playing and you think right okay I understand that this is sort of Bathory Venom style but you know produced really nicely with some thrashy influences and then you'll have over the top of that I think that's how Mariah plays flute piccolo keyboards and uh, I'm going to mispronounce this <laughs> um, Atashia Goto which is a Japanese harp and then um, we've got saxophone as well as usual for Sai so you have all of this stuff that's going on around it and is brought into it and it adds all of these different elements to what would normally be you know just a sort of thrashy black metal riff yeah, yeah. and then the vocal delivery is unconventional as well you have sort of more traditional black metal stuff but it will range into slightly cleaner well he, like Mariah actually has a very good clean singing voice mm. um Back on Gallows Gallery, like quite a few albums back, it's an entirely clean vocal led mm. album, and it it really works. And say so the first track of this album is almost entirely clean vocals, yeah. But he's got quite an odd haunting voice, yeah. like it, yeah, yeah. It certainly doesn't shy away from still having that kind of slightly scary atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. It and it it's sort of there's something about it that feels like a you know an old seventies or eighties horror movie, but done modern. There's some there's some like creepy stuff to it. A lot of the um, there's some distorted vocals on that. The sort of, I guess, the centerpiece of the album is a three-part track called "Heresy." Yes, and and which goes through some weird movements. He- Heresy like, is definitely, if you're new to Psy, Heresy in the middle of the album is definitely the hard bit to get your head yeah, around. Yeah, but that bit's the bit that makes you think of a horror film because it's got these weird, like, electronic horror keyboard type mm. sounds, and then these distorted vocals, which are distorted to the point where you just cannot tell what they're saying. And then it devolves into like this sort of death rattle at various points. It's, it's really it creates this really unsettling atmosphere. Um, and then like it's got the part three as well. 
And then it's, yeah, it's like a children's song, but feel, like it's being played by a fucked up computer that wants to kill you. <laughs> yeah, and at the end, that's like... That's a good description. It, yeah, it just dissolves into this horrible, broken, like, electronic sounds. It's, yeah, it's really unsettling, but really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, it, Psy are mainly formed... It's, it's mainly Mirai's project, although... Uh, Satoshi, the bass player, has been there since like day mm. one as well, but it's always quite a background part of Psy, as far as I can tell. Mm. Then uh, Mariah's wife, uh, who goes by Dr. McCannibal, is on backing vocals and saxophone on this album. Um, but And also the, the latest member of the band, uh, Yoshima, the lead guitarist, really needs to be mentioned, because mm. his solos on this are yeah. spectacular. I yeah. think he was known beforehand as like proper like Japanese virtuoso guitarist mm. legend, and now he's been with them side for two albums now and his addition is incredible like he doesn't like he doesn't have huge solo passages but when they come in they are spectacular yeah and there's just some amazing leads on this like um, on the single that was released um homo homini lupus the like it's 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 not one of the weirdest songs on this album by a long way but the solo passage that it has where it's just like jumping around these really high-pitched notes is it do, it adds so much to the thrashy riff that's underneath it really sort of puts you a bit on edge and it, there's an amazing sort of centre point of that. Like, those leads are the bit I always think of when I think of this album. Yeah, yeah. I, this is definitely one of those ones where it's just that there's a huge amount to unpack in it. And I feel I've, I've listened to it about five times through. Mm. Love it. But I still couldn't tell you what happens. I just... Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of brilliant soundscapes. And I really... So, In Somnophobia, their 10th album, got critically panned at the time. Mm. But I've always really loved it. And... Mirai was always upset that one wasn't very popular and hated Grave Ward, the follow-up. And I really like that he's gone back to a sound that he really loved, despite being, yeah, despite the kind of, I don't know, the, the imagination that this will cause, yeah, yeah. cause them to be critically more panned again. But I hope this one gets the attention it deserves. I think mm. time moving on that much, like, Prog has more of a yes. popularist appeal. So hopefully people will jump on this because Sire are always one of those, like, unknown acts like yeah. how many people have you seen wearing a side t-shirt okay. <laughs> considering they have 12 albums yeah. so they've been back since the early days of black metal yeah but yeah i've never seen a side t-shirt yeah yeah um and i think one of the things they have which is really lovely even at this point and it's something which harkens back to you know those early bands is they still have incredible energy to everything they yeah, do yeah they shift around between so many different genres they'll have these faster thrashy bits and they'll have these like bigger more epic sections and the weird proggy bits as well but they all retain this frantic energy that they have throughout the entire album. So it does. It still feels like you're listening to a band which is putting loads of passion into this. Yeah, and yeah. yeah it sounds like a band who are from the early days, but you know they're incredibly experienced and they know how to put together a really complicated, interesting album. Yeah, because there is like for all the kind of prog on this, there is moments like sort of track two and track eight, uh, hands of the string puller, mm. which are way more like baffery, thrashy bits. Oh no, and... hands of the string puller. The beginning section of it, it's got this sort of like keyboard guitar bit. It just sounds like an Iron Maiden song, and I was convinced yeah, yeah. when I first heard that, I was like, "Is this an Iron Maiden cover?" <laughs> and then it jumps into like, yeah, like a battery style song. I'm like, "Yeah, no, I'm on board with this. I like shoving those two genres together." But at the same time, it, it sort of slams them together. But the momentum that it builds up means that you're sort of like, "Yeah, I can see that working." You know, the sort of high octane bits of Iron Maiden mixed with high octane Venom or Battery sort of works quite nicely when they do it this way. Yeah, because I think very much the influence, Paul, at least like following where I kind of Twitter stuff is very early death and black metal. Yeah. And but then mixed with his incredible knowledge of keyboards. Like yeah. he is a keyboard player that I love because what they do with keyboards is use 
thousands upon thousands of different sound effects. Like, mm. doesn't stick with one tone to do fancy stuff. Oh, yeah. Uses hundreds of tones to do very simple stuff, but they all sound completely different. Yeah. Like, this album and most song albums have this thing of, you're listening to it going, I've got no idea what instrument yeah. is doing <laughs> yeah, what yeah, this yeah, is yeah. here. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, it, yeah, that sort of interplay that you would see, you know, years and years ago with bands like Deep Purple, where they mm. would take the guitar and the keyboards and say, well, let's push these two onwards to the point where you can't tell which is doing which. Sigh is that, but to the nth degree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just have no fucking idea. So at number seven, we have a band who, so I got into, like, they kind of missed out on our 2016 list with their debut, but this is the Australian one-man band, Convulsing, which is just 
a guy called Brendan Sloan playing everything. He's famous for another band called uh, Dumb Saint, mm, who yeah. I don't actually know anything about, but seem to be like really well respected. But yeah, I um, I sort of came across them yeah last year. I think just was sort of yeah early twenty seventeen, just because their previous album had an amazing cover. Mm, um, it does. Uh, so this album Grievous is it's in that kind of vein of those bands like sort of Portal and Ulcerate and. All that kind of end of what I'd call death metal, but it's sort of a bit black metal, it's sort of a bit doom, and just seems to have distilled extreme metal down into its most horrendous oppressive yeah, elements. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of like where you really get that unsettling edge of all these genres and you get that death metal formula, it meets a little bit of black metal and a little bit of doom, which comes in to create this unsettling atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. So Grievous is a very kind of stripped back album it's it's not massively technical mm. it's very much about big heavy grinding riffs yeah. like the album starts with with the 10 minute track beaten which just starts with this long repeating guitar passage with absolutely crushing guitar tone like yeah re- like the thing that strikes you straight away about this album is like the tone of it is amazing and to get that one guy to work that out for so many mm. instruments is really impressive and, and the way they fit together so the different particularly at that beginning passage of beaten when the second guitar bit comes in and sort of like slightly harmonizes but is a bit dissonant yeah and i think dissonant is the word which sums this up the best and even down to the track names and the band name like convulsing and beaten and these names it it sums up what you're gonna get it is this just sort of yeah it's oppressive and all over you and when it sort of really kicks off with these gigantic guitar passages and huge bass and drums as well it just feels enormous but it creates this really oppressive and sort of dissonant atmosphere mm. um, and that's I think you picked up nicely on you know thinking about Ulcerate which I know is a huge influence for Brendan he's just a bit more minimalist than that yes yeah, so the drumming so uh, this uh, almost certainly programmed but the drumming is mm. very simplistic for the most part lots of like double kick work and stuff but it it's more about huge tom sound and so on just to accentuate yeah. the riffs well, it's, it's the same with the riffs as well like none of them are hugely technical or complicated like you might get with bits of and gorguts or something mm. like that as a comparison but what they do is they hit perfectly upon that atmosphere that it's trying to create and because you know because it's you know, it's one guy doing all of this. There's not a huge full band of technical stuff going on. It just locks into this really oppressive groove, which sort of evokes things like Primitive Man, like that mm. just pure bleakness that you get out of something like this. And then we'll mix it with these, I guess, more like post-Rocky influences in so, some places. So, yeah, there, there's like, uh, like on the first track, these giant simps come in, mm. like almost cryoral simps come in quite early on, which... I found massively reminiscent of like later Porcupine Tree mm. kind of Steve Wilson sort of synth sound, and this is almost confirmed by the fact the last track of the album is a cover of Porcupine yeah. Tree's No <laughs> Dreaming, <laughs> yeah. and I've heard Brendan before talk about how he's like a fan of older Opeth and so on. Mm. So it's definitely there is a little bit of influence coming from that kind of end of the more you know the more emotional prog yeah. metal like yeah. kind of stuff. And it, but it pulls it into something that's much more ugly and much more aggressive. <laughs> yes, this is a very, yeah. very ugly album. Um, the vocals are really nice as well because they switch between, you know, like pure sort of death metal, like right up in your face to these more black metal style shrieking. And then the sort of shouting, slightly distorted mm. shouting that fits in the middle. And there's one really nice touch that I like, like on um, 
the openings are strewn adrift, there's these sort of vocals which sound like they're coming from further away, yeah. or they're coming from down in a well, and it gives this really ominous feel as if whatever it is that's making that you know horrible noise is coming towards you, and makes the song feel a bit sort of distant, which really adds into this oppressive atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's something that I thought was really interesting as band as well is with their previous album, absolutely great album. But the difference between Grievous and that is he's kind of softened all the edges with this. It's mm. not quite as like it's not quite as brutally produced. It's like the riffs are more discernible. There is more melody in this album. Yeah, uh, and like every aspect of this seems slightly softened, which is a brave choice to make, and I think massively improves this album because it's made it slightly accessible. And by mm. doing that. It's now gone from being this kind of hard-to-engage thing to actually quite a memorable album. Very memorable, yeah. Yeah. And it, it does all sort of like blend together into one huge piece of things. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. That's really nice about it. But, you know, just talking about it now, there's loads of sections of it which come to mind. And, yeah, it makes it, while it is really aggressive, it makes it somewhat easy to digest, in a way, if you're into this sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's not like listening to Ulcerate, where you are desperately trying to work out what is going on at all times. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, but it's still hideous and terrifying. Yeah, yeah. And exact, exactly how it should be. Like, I, I really think this is a great example of this kind of emerging sub-genre of horrendous extreme metal. Yeah, like, it's, it's ugly and it's oppressive, but at the same time it's digestible. Yeah, and it's yeah. polished and it's sort of smooth and it gets right across to it. And we touched on the cover at the end, but the cover at the end is absolutely <laughs> amazing. So Rob um, wasn't familiar with the, the Porcupine Tree album Signify, which is this This is from. And I showed him the original versus the cover. <laughs> and it like at first it doesn't make sense as a choice of cover, but when you get to the end of the original, you're like, no, this builds up in such a way you could make this extreme. Yeah. And what Brendan's done with this is... <laughs> It's mind-blowing. It's very hard to explain, but yeah, he, he's even sort of included kind of clean vocals in it. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, I guess basically singing stuff, but everything is mixed in such a way, it's, ah, it is a total mind-melting yeah, song. for the Porcupine Tree, you end up with this, um, you know, these really heavy keys at the end, which drive that real emotional climax of the song. And it seems that what he's done is just decide, okay, like that huge, overwhelming feeling what if we just put really heavy guitars and bass under that as well? And it, it does that sort of thing, but it drives that massive feeling in a different way because it's got this huge, powerful backing underneath it. Mm, mm. And it, sound, yeah, it sounds amazing, but it's, it's, it's really interesting to see covering that song in a way which hits those emotional beats, but just slightly differently and doesn't end up just being one of those you know shit metal covers of songs where they play, <laughs> play the chords uh, on... Yeah, they just play the chords, but they chug them or something like that. It actually takes the spirit of the song and does something new with it. Yeah, yeah. And I really think there's something impressive here. This is a band who, in two albums, have pretty much got their sound perfect. Mm. Like, I, I think in terms of... Because it's quite a short album, but in terms of pure like guitar tone, production, all that, there is nothing I'd change about it. I mean, they've no. utterly nailed no. that sound. It's yeah, it's really. Cause I think it's about forty-eight minutes or so. The whole thing. yeah, yeah, well, yeah. That's with the cover. Yeah, and it's it's really sort of tight. And the other thing they do quite nicely. I mean, there's only two guitar parts on this, but they do some really nice layering. Like the beginning of Beaton's quite a nice example, mm. where you have these patterns which just lock in, and neither of them are particularly. You know, they're not these technical passages, but there's something about how they lock in, and it gives this slight dissonance, which just makes you feel a little bit uneasy in the slightly cleaner, you know, not super heavy sections, and um, and that's. 
that sort of studio work with how they've layered that has been done wonderfully. Yeah, yeah. Alright, so we'll probably just show you a bit from the start of the album because it's hard to pick out a, a better moment later on, almost. Like, you, you just need to hear this as a whole, really. Yeah. <laughs>
the next band we are covering in spot six is the Ukrainian band 1914, um, formed in 2014, which is actually getting a bit weird, so formed 100 years after 1914, which is the start of the First World War. Um, they're a Ukrainian band who dress as First World War German soldiers, and I feel one of the things you brought up when we were discussing this for the end of the year list, which I think is good to get out there right away, is that they're sort of band who will say, fuck off Nazis, <laughs> yeah. which I'm really on board with, because when you get metal bands who are into this sort of war-inspired music, you do get bands who say, oh, but you know, we're not a political band or something like that. And it's refreshing to see a band who will just come out and go for the lowest common denominator and just say, fuck Nazis. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that's but... nice. Anyway, I think they released their debut in 2015, um, which I haven't actually had a chance to no, I, I've check not, out. No, I've not heard um, that. I just caught them for this year. And they do this sort of, I guess it's really blackened death metal, um, and then themed all around the First World War. And I think this goes back to what I was saying earlier about Evoken, and particularly for 1914, is looking at the idea of war and how you communicate that musically. Metal can do it in a way, and particularly extreme metal can do it in a way that no other genre of music can, because it can really nail down not only the sadness, which this album definitely gets, but the brutality of it as well, and that utter sort of despair and violence and just horrible nature of the whole thing. Um, so this album sort of sits in a similar place to something like Bolt Thrower, but it throws in a lot of other influences as well. It's got that sort of chunky death metal riffs right up in the centre. But then even from the very beginning of the album, from the first song, I got a really strong sort of satiricon vibe from it. Really? Okay. It re- the first riff really reminds me of the riff from Mother North. Okay. It's got yeah. those like slight little bits where I'm like, I can sort of see a bit of like black metal creeping into this. Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff here because I'd say it's one truly in the death metal camp, but they shy away from a lot of the kind of more death metal staples. There isn't really a lot of blast beats. There's mm. not really a lot of. Um, there's like no solos on the album or anything like that. Mm. It's it's far more atmosphere driven. But it's got a very clean black uh, death metal production. Yeah, like yeah. it's a real it does sound like a modern death metal album. Mm. And actually, we've got to mention this with Oaken earlier. Both of these albums are entirely themed around the First World War. Yeah, and both of them released a uh, hundred years after the ending of the First. Yeah, hundred years after the Armistice Day, which ended the First World War. So that yeah, there's it's it's quite nice to see that being reflected in you know the art that's coming out this year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I really like this album. It's got a, it's got a brilliant sound to it. I mean, the, thing, the main thing that drives it more than anything is really good riffs. Like, yeah, it, yeah. it's a really catchy, memorable death metal album. It's just mm. one of the because it's got almost like melodic death metal elements in yeah, that it's definitely. just really kind of groovy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but then it does have those bits where, like in Arrival, it swells to some of those little bits where you can just about hear that black metal coming through. Well, the sort of more melodic end of black metal, like Cormorant style stuff. Yeah, And yeah. then in songs like um, Passchendaele, it feels, there's bits where it slows down and becomes mm. properly doomy and really plays into that idea of war being, you know, just the worst thing you can possibly imagine. But but the, actually, Passion Hell, the song you just mentioned, has that absolutely amazing thing of it. Yeah, it slows down to this kind of like more doomy section with what I think is like an alto sax or something yes. over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it kicks back up into this like really old school bolt throwery drum beat. Yeah, yeah. And Dave Ingram of Benediction, it does guest oh, vocals on this. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> who is also on a great album this year, Just Before Dawn, and mm. their latest one. Uh, blanking the name of it but his is another album in that kind of bolt for a vein so mm. it's a really cool crossover of two bands yeah. doing this 
their album is more uh, Second World War themed, but mm-hmm. still, mm-hmm. still on the same kind of topic. But yeah, that beat is like my absolute highlight of the the album, where that that kind of really cool old school death metal beat comes yeah. in. It's just, yeah, yeah. And it, and it does feel like it is doing that sort of thing where you have these a lot of old death metal bands who like like Bolthrow would just you know they make these full albums about war because war is a very death metal thing but they carry that thing through with particularly with Bolthrow where they would cover how horrible it is with mm. you know these these sad and foreboding melodies that come into it and there's bits of this that are really sort of in atmospheric in a way and quite mournful of the whole thing right alongside the brutality so songs like Highwood. 75 Acres of Hell. I love the song title. Yeah, that's a really good one. <laughs> um, it's based on, there's a battle site in France um, called Highwood. Uh, and it's one of those really interesting bits of history that when I was looking this up, it's one of the few, there were a few battles in World War One which were fought with both cavalry and machine guns. So they had normal sort of soldiers who were armed with guns, which you would expect and you'd think of when you think of World War One. But they also had cavalry who were using lances to fight people. So it's one of these weird bits in history and it's that sort of immortalised, and you get the feeling of that. And when you read the lyrics, you you know it's, it's all about charging as cavalry. And you'd first think there weren't cavalry in World War One, yeah. but there were. And it's, yeah. it's one of those really interesting bits of you've actually got some interesting history in this as well. And it ties into some really interesting bits of World War One, and I love that. It's actually cavalry in World War Two as well. Yeah, <laughs> it didn't last long, but <laughs> um, yeah, like the. I think the war theme in this is done very well. The other thing they do is loads of intros from like contemporary music from the time, mm. and then clips from movies made since. Yeah. Like uh, the the intro to the whole album is this minute long clip for a song, and it's so terrifyingly sets up the spirit of nineteen fourteen. Yeah. Of it's all about like comparing going to war with like being good at sport. Yeah, and, and, and yeah. just like, like just singing about it in this. Very, uh, yeah, unsettling manner where you're like, oh, isn't this all so heroic? And then bringing that into the album where it's just lots of stories of people like dying in muddy fields of yeah. barbed wire. Like, yeah. oh yeah, this this is really bad. And it's got it's got the um, where's the private hanging on the old barbed wire, which I believe is a real song that people used to sing in mm. World War One because all these people were dying. And hearing that and sort of knowing, yeah, that's really what. That's the reality of what this album is about. is quite moving in a way, and particularly when it gets to um, what's the last song? It's Ford's March or something like that. Uh, oh, hundred the hundred days, days offensive. Yeah, yeah. There's bits in that that are like almost difficult to listen to because it's really sad. No, the hundred <laughs> days offensive is pretty amazing because it's a ten minute long song that. Um, in departure from the rest of the album, which is far more kind of tightly written, this is this really huge build. Where the first four minutes are this like long diatribe, I'm not sure what film it's from, mm. of this character who's just killed someone, completely losing his mind yeah. over it. And it builds up over this really long, like, kind of emotional riff, and then comes in with the song, uh, like, proper. And it's just this huge emotional payoff at the end of the album. It's, yeah, this is, like, really well-created stuff. Yeah. It's one of those things where, when you talk to people who aren't really into metal, and they'll say, okay, so the only emotions that it gets across are anger and stuff like that. And you think... No, this is a death metal album, which is really punishing and brutal and like bolt thrower. But at the same time, it gets across, you know, this idea of horror and the idea of these things being so sad and manages to communicate things about, you know, how sad and horrible World War One was. Yeah, and that's, yeah. that's amazing to be able to get that through this medium and really shows, I think, the diversity that you get in something that, you know, you might think of as so simple as death metal. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think the whole aesthetic the band's gone for is really good. Like the album cover is yeah. absolutely brilliant of like, 
death walking around like a, I think it's a load of trenches, like yeah. filled with soldiers at the time. And like the bands look, they all dress in like accurate period costumes yes. of, yeah, yeah. of uh, First World War German soldiers, complete with the spike on the helmet. Yeah. Um, yeah. And but all their band photos as well are like doctored film where it looks like uh, like these really low quality black and white images well and and the cover's got that same sort of feel it looks like something that would be sketched up on a you know a promotional war poster during the time or something like that but you know the grim reaper (laughs) right in the middle of it yeah yeah really gets the message across and they all have ridiculous like uh, names as well like (laughs) ninth division grenadier but yeah it's really nice to see that Particularly as this was, you know, a hundred years since the Armistice Day, that that history is living on through metal music. Yeah, and yeah, I think definitely. because metal music is willing to tackle the most difficult subject areas in that have ever existed, well, but one's definitely one of those. It still exists within the culture of metal, and I think that's really valuable that we're still sort of reflecting on those experiences and that history. And and you need a sound this extreme to do that. You, yeah. I, I think it'd be very hard to do something this kind of. I know emotionally kind of draining mm. with, with a more kind of like pop or rock sound yeah, with, exactly. with it might almost sound glib if you didn't make exactly. it this kind of yeah. hellish <laughs> yeah it's, it's the same thing as Evoken because Evoken was more exploring like one soldier whereas this is exploring you know war as a whole yeah and but, it's, it's not it's not a story like with no, Evoken no. is is lots of separate bits but that totally works it's, <laughs> it's sort of thematic but again both of those examples are ways of which you can only really do this properly and in my do it real justice if you explore how horrific it was and the only way to do that musically is really through extreme metal yeah yeah and this is obviously biased but i think there's something there that metal can do that no other genre can and yeah. i think that's been a bit you know it's obvious in a couple of the albums this year
So uh, in number five, we have Howling Sycamores with Howling Sycamores. Um, so this is a really interesting project that's come out this year, which comes from um, David Tiso, who we covered earlier this year from Afel Duaf. Um, Jacob McMaster, who is the old uh, vocalist. Jason. Jason. <laughs> I, 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 have, I have written Jason. I just can't <laughs> read. <laughs> yeah, uh, who is old vocalist from Watchtower, as we also mentioned earlier. And um, Hannes Grossman, who will also feature in this list in another band, who is a fantastic drummer from... When we were looking at the list of number of bands he's in, he's in a ridiculous so, number yeah, of bands. So, he, yeah, he, like, even this year he recorded with Hate Eternal, Alkaloid, and Howling Sycamore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, he's done so many... Like, famously, he's the drummer from Necrophagus Epitaph. Yeah. He was in, I think still in Obscure, actually. Yeah, he's definitely but, done a lot of Obscure over the yeah, years. Yeah, I haven't been listening to them so much these days. But yeah, Hannes Grossman is definitely becoming one of those forces in metal who mm. just... Yeah, seemingly is unstoppably busy. <laughs> like, yeah. So as we, I think, we discussed with Rafael Giraffe, David Tiso is one of those figures in metal who is always doing something bizarre yeah, and yeah. interesting and combining things in new ways. And Howling Sycamores is an amazing example Howling of that. Howling Sycamore. Howling Sycamore. <laughs> <laughs> so it mixes like progressive black metal with saxophones and almost like Ronnie James Dio style vocals over the top of it, like this mad like power metal style feel. Um, and it builds off these sinister guitar riffs through to like pounding blast beats, which feel much more black metal. Mm. And then these moments of serenity with acoustic guitar passages and these sort of chanting sections and almost like nursery rhyme like bits with some phenomenal lead guitar playing. And then these, you know, amazing high commanding vocals over the top of all of it, like bridging into these ridiculous screaming sections over the top. And it's, you know, it's, it's incredibly avant-garde and mixing lots of weird genres together. Um, but I feel it, it pulls it together in such a sort of tight way. The whole thing works. I've seen a few reviews that have said that it all feels like it's pushed to 11 a bit too much. Yeah, yeah. But I never really found that. And I feel there are some moments of sort of being a bit more calm throughout the album. The album's not super long either. No, it's so, quite short. Yeah. So there, I feel there's enough time for things to breathe. But it really is this sort of sonic assault of I've never heard these elements put together before. Yeah, yeah. So the, the album, the way it starts, is it, it, kind of yeah, completely throws you right into it, which I think is brilliant. Of like, it comes in with a lot like a passage mainly led by Davy Tiso's amazing guitar work, which sounds like more modern, that kind of melodic black metal kind of yeah. sound. You know, slightly reminiscent of bands like Necrophobic, mm. Um, mm. that kind of style, and sort of that goes for a bit. You're like, okay, I kind of got this. And then Jason's vocals coming out. Oh no, that that was completely not what I was expecting with these really, like as Rob was saying, really high pitched vocals. Which he's the master of doing that thing of singing very complex lyrics over very complex music mm. in a musically very gifted way. Yeah, like, yeah. And the lyrics are bizarrely complex. But they just when you think you might have got a handle on that, you get these amazing <laughs> improvised sax pieces yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bruce Lamont, who's also in Correction House, and I mentioned a couple of episodes back, is on Nacmistium's, uh, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, like Assassins and I think uh, Addicts as well. But yeah, he's just really brilliant saxophonist. Like, I mean, he plays multiple saxophones on this as well because, like, yeah, okay. yeah. so upended the first track has these really kind of all over the place improvised sax pieces, very reminiscent of um, the kind of sound Ishan gets from. Um, of the guy from Shining. Uh, Jürgen. Uh, Jürgen from Shining. Yeah. Guy. That kind of thing in each album. It's kind of like that. But then 
obstinate pace the second track has these very melodic kind of alto sax pieces yeah. which are far more far more traditional melody to like yeah and it's it's interesting seeing how the saxophone is used because I mean Ishan and Shining have really sort of pioneered that within metal yeah, and yeah. they have used it particularly in some of Ishan's stuff in that really you know experimental like weird improvised sections which just adds texture to the chaos of what's going on and that definitely exists here but as you say it becomes you know a normal instrument as part of what everything else is going on and is adding melodies to it which feel like fundamental parts of the song in yeah, a lot yeah. of places and like structurally, these songs are complex and different. But this is this doesn't. Dwell, like if you're familiar with W.T. Tiso's work, this isn't anything like, say, pain necessarily to know from a Duaf. Like the songs do flow in a more traditional manner. Like yeah. there, there is closer to a verse-chorus structure. Mm. Although I don't really think there's too many repeating choruses. No. So there's like repeating vocal lines. Yeah. In, and, it, and it's it's sort of the pieces that it's been built out of are completely different to what you would have thought, you know, with like modern melodic black metal and then to put not only the saxophone, but, you know, a more like power metal, heavy metal style singer over the top of that. And um, because you often think of that style of vocals as coming from something which I guess is not nearly as sinister or esoteric and, you know, could even become a bit cheesy. But I think this really harnesses the the sinister edge of vocals like that with really high-pitched and screaming vocal, you know, high-pitched sort of screams and stuff like that can give you a really unsettling atmosphere but then drive these huge emotional highs like at the end of Obstinate Pace as well. The screams yeah. at the end of that are ridiculous combining with these melodies and the end of that song is, is quite sad in a way but it's this huge drive from the vocals which command everything else but then when you listen further than that there's all of these other things going on beneath with you know phenomenal guitar playing and wonderful melodies like sprinkled throughout the album yeah and I think the production really helps like because again it's got a very clean and clear production where you can really hear everything that's going on like Hannes Grossman actually has a really interesting drum sound for him because mm. it's it's not that usual tech def sound he gets like the slightly more clicky hyper fast kick yeah. drum because he's not playing quite as fast as he like this does not sound like his performance on Hate Eternal's album. No. Like, <laughs> there's, there's a clear kind of difference. And it shows like the guy is very gifted and doesn't have to stick in the kind mm. of the genres we really know him for. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure I would have necessarily picked it out as him if I hadn't looked it up. Because the I drum sound <laughs> is, is very different. Um, and he's there are still really fast bits in this. Like, there are still blast beats and stuff, but... Yeah, he's really taken a step back and made it sound a bit more organic and live, and that fits this sort of more black metal influence thing really, really well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it's an album you're just going to have to go and give a go, because I think some people will have that problem Rob was mentioning. Of it. it is very much turned up to 11, but mm. in essence, I don't know that's a bad thing when you've got musicians like this in a band. I don't know, yeah, I don't expect... Jason <laughs> can't do vocals that aren't, like, this huge in-your-face yeah. assault, like... It's, yeah, be like you know, getting someone like Devin Townsend doing a really subtle album. You always feel like, well, you're underused in this. <laughs> like, um, and WT so like, I, I'm glad he's back and doing a lot of mm. stuff because not only has he recorded this this year, he's finished recording the new Karen Crisis Gospel of Witches album, which I'm really looking forward mm. to because I love the debut of that band. And they've already written the whole next album for this. It's all, <laughs> already that's, going. Oh, that's great though. Also, there's a guest uh, bit of guitaring from Kevin Huffnagel of oh, yeah. um, uh, Gorguts and Dysrhythmia, mm. who is an absolutely excellent yeah. guitarist and someone I'd love to see that group of tech musicians working with David Tiso because I think there's some yeah. 
very interesting overlap. Like, so he's already with Gospel of Witches worked with some of the guys from Immolation. Oh, uh, right. And, yeah, and it's yeah. produce, it produces some very interesting stuff because he's more of a technical black metal musician. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, like the mixture there, I think, could push extreme metal forward very well. And and they see he's like, I've not heard something like this before, no, ever. No, no, no. Yeah, and it's, its atmosphere is sort of at, at times familiar, but at times feels like nothing else I've ever heard before. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, those, you know, high vocals mixed with these sort of like creepy black metal bits mixed with your saxophone and stuff just leaves you feeling completely different from any other mix of sounds and textures that you've heard before. Yeah, um, so we should probably—I don't know if you've much more to add on this. It's—it's it's just got some really nice sort of stop and start bits as well. Where I think yes. they're, they're, there'll be these bits where it just cuts out to vocals and drums, and then you're like, "What on earth is happening here?" It's still got that thing that WT so will do, where he'll throw something completely weird at you, but then it creates these. Yeah, it's got these bit where it has these sort of layered vocals and just drums going on underneath, and you think. No, this is really cool. I really get that. And it can be a bit unpredictable. It will throw you around a little bit and there'll be bits where the drums will drop out and you'll just have guitar and vocals working and then it will build everything back up. And, and despite, you know, sometimes being turned to 11 a lot, it does build really nicely. Um, I think Obstinate Pace is probably the best example of that because the end is one of the most epic bits on the album. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it hasn't lost sight of how to build the songs themselves. It hasn't mm. got lost in experimentation at all. Yeah, it, this is extremely more accessible than stuff some of these people have done in the past. Mm. <laughs> Of my 
So number four on our list is Voices, uh, with their latest release, Frightened. Now this is a reasonably early one this year, so I think we found with this list that we have a few things that are from more recent, but there's still a few more things that we haven't fully had time to listen to. Yeah, We're trying to make the case that we have a few things that are early enough as well. Um, So Voices comes out of Agacocca, we've covered them before, I think think we might have covered them on the first episode. Yeah, it was like the second band I think we ever covered. So we we covered their album London, um, which is is still one of my favourite albums of all time, it's an absolutely fantastic album. So they come out of essentially some of the members of Agacocca, so you have David Gray who's the drummer, Peter Benjamin who played bass of Agacocca. Only on Antichrist actually, it's really, it's really only, and... Sam, uh, Sam the guitarist, Lawrence, yeah. is now keyboard player for them. So yes. I think it's really only David who has that connection. Mm. But these are all people who have been around in that kind of very progressive London extreme scene. So there's connections with this band with, say, you know, other acts like Ted Moore, Damon, mm. like mm. they're like subtle connections. But you know that that scene has produced some very interesting music that's always been very forward thinking experimental often quite scary sounding yeah. and uh, the like voices are very much in that vein i would just argue they're possibly like the most competent thing to ever come out of that like as rob was saying mm. like both of us hold london as like one of the greatest albums we ever heard and if you haven't heard it it's worth a go it's not gonna be yeah. for everyone it it's hyper progressive it's a mixture of Extremes of black and death metal mixed with kind of more kind of like goth rock and mellow post rock ideas. Yeah, and lots of sort of narration passages as well, which set the tone for the whole story of the album. Yeah, yeah, and and this album is re- really interesting in that they've gone from London, which was an absolute peak of that kind of style, mm. and gone. We're just, we're not doing anything like that. And again. I think that's really good because I, I don't think you can top it. I think in that style, because as we both said, London's one of our favourite albums. I don't know if you could live up to it at all, and no. it would just end up being a bit disappointing. So they've gone in a completely different direction, and they haven't thrown away the extreme metal influences, but they're certainly muted in a way where you'd have you have incredibly heavy sections on London. There aren't really any super heavy sections on this album, but it retains a you know bleak and dissonant feel yeah, in the yeah. same way that London had, but they achieve it in a completely different way. This is much more sort of chilling and resonant chords, a much more like organic sound to the whole thing. Yes, yes. And particularly in David Gray's drum sound, which I think is possibly my favourite drum sound he's ever had. It feels really real, and it's quite you know it's very different for him. He's playing in Agacocca and the last Voices albums. You know, he's doing these really fast double kick stuff, and the more sort of clicky it sort of has to be for the stuff that he's yeah, doing. Yeah. But in this, he's been able to like strip it back. Um, and there's still those sort of signature tom rolls from the really high rotor toms that he does all the way down. You can still definitely tell it's David Gray, and his drum performance is fantastic. But the snare is so much more 80s, as is the bass drum. Like, they're much more resonant and ringing, and they really fill out the space. Yeah. And I think his drum performance on this is. It, it wouldn't fit a much more extreme album, but yeah, it just, it's just got, got the best drum sound I think he's ever had. It's really nice and organic and quite subtle at the same time. Yeah, so um, with this album, like the general kind of setup of it is it's just 11 kind of more rock songs. Like mm. I, I'd say this is the, the definitely the album on our list which you could certainly make the argument for it not being a metal album. Yeah. Honestly, I don't think that's important. I think it's... It's an album that would appeal to metalheads, certainly, because yeah. it, it's still got, as Rob said, that real darkness to it. The other really interesting change of this is Peter is clearly becoming so much more um, happy in his singing voice. Yes. Like yeah, he, yeah. So so 
since recording this, he's stopped playing guitar. Yeah, so previously yeah. he was guitar and vocals for the band, but now live just does vocals. And with this album, it's mostly all clean singing, whereas the previous albums were far more screams than clean singing. Mm. Um, and you can tell he's still got some really left field influences in there. I know he's a big fan of both um, Silencer. Ved Blue and mm. Ved Bruins and uh, yeah, I think. <laughs> and Virus, the band yeah. that like uh, they formed after that. So they got a lot of that very left field approach to vocals, mm. like and actually he's a couple of moments. Although we're still moving away from the extreme metal, there is a couple of moments of those high pitch um, shrieks. Yeah. That's the thing I'd say. Um, if you think about this as a rock album, if you give this to someone who just listens to rock music, they will get really confused when that happens. Yeah, music yeah. can do these amazing, you know, tortured sounding screams. And yeah, no, there's it is very sort of silencer influenced in that way, although not quite as mad as silencer. <laughs> yeah, um, not that over the top. So, sure. and 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 that's one of the really weird things about this album is it's almost like a sort of gothy poppy rock album at times. Yep, yeah. And then it will still throw in blast beats at you. There <laughs> yes. are sections where you know you the guitar none of the guitars are particularly distorted or heavy, but you'll have these blast beating sections over these sort of slightly unconventional chord structures. And then every now and then you will get these shrieking vocals in it. And it's really interesting to hear how they build intensity and heaviness without any of the traditional hallmarks, as in heavily distorted guitars. They don't have any of that, but they still have sections where I think, actually, this is much heavier than I thought it was. Yeah, and it's doing a lot of it using clean tone guitar in a more nuanced way. Mm. There's a guest violin and cello on this album yeah. which they use for the kind of some of the more emotional sections because it's a very very sad album like yeah. the, the lyrics definitely are from that very self-hating direction yeah. and, and Peter's delivery is incredibly mournful like his singing mm. voice has really evolved into yeah. something truly excellent on this album and, and he'll move between different things as well he has these bits which are sort of almost poppy and heartfelt but then he'll have these bits where it is more virus-like. Um, like on Evaporate, he has this bit where he's talking about the snakes and the worms coming out. And it's this sort of commanding, much deeper voice. So he's you know, he's experimented a lot more on this. And he's clearly got a lot better at what he's doing. Yeah, Not yeah. that London was bad. It's just he's diversified out into so many different areas. And he delivers everything with real feeling. Every single thing he does has feeling to it. And... You know, like he he doesn't need the technical skill that other people have because you believe him whenever he says anything. <laughs> and that's not to say he doesn't have technical skill, like he really does. And on this album, it showcases it amazingly. Yeah, I think it def- definitely it's an album which is more based around the vocal performance because these mm. are that more sh- short, kind of chorus driven rock song. But I, I still think this is something fans of more extreme metal should definitely dig into because. There really is something massive here. I don't know how fans of the band have dealt with this, actually, because Voices is such a left-field band that I think a total change in direction might be the kind of thing their fans would like. It'd be interesting to see. Personally, I I was really on board with this, and I really like... I I found the album hugely engaging, and and I'd be happy for them to keep going in this vein. Like, I don't mind the step away from metal. I'd be really because I've not seen them live since this mm. came out, so I'd be really interesting to see how this fits with yeah. the like. Do they still play loads of the old we're, stuff? We're playing bits off London, yeah, 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 yeah. Because because like they were always playing the first two albums together, like almost half and mm. half of a set. So yeah, where where this is going to go, I don't know, but. Because particularly if you look at the end of the album, the final track, Footsteps, which is almost like a ballad. Mm. You know, it's where the contributions from the violin and the cello like hit home massively. It has these, 
you know, really nice vocal harmonies to it, which Peter's doing. And yeah, it's it's just very emotional and sad in a way that London never was. It it completely. I don't know. I think I think London is really sad. It... London is sad, but I feel the way in which this does it is completely different. It is... And while they're thematically linked, like the way in which this is achieved is is so odd. Yes, definitely. Actually, Footsteps in a weird way reminds me of Spiral Architect in that it's, oh, yeah. it similarly builds the end of the album by just going suddenly massively orchestral yes. yeah, to have yeah. like kind of like a more interesting change right in the like the dying moments. Mm, I can see that. Yeah, I mean the songs don't sound anything like each other. No, just, no, like... no, no, but no, I definitely see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, so from this, I think to give you a bit of a feel of the general sound, um, we're going to play some evaporated because that's got probably the most over-the-top mixture of elements. And it has some bits where there's riffs where you think that could definitely be a metal riff, but it's played in a completely different way and then is mixed with these atmospheric bits and all of this other stuff that's going on in there, these more sort of goth influences and pop influences as well.
Number three in our list is Slugge, or Slugge, or however you want to pronounce the name, with esoteric malacology, which I may have said right or wrong. Uh, now, Sludge is a really interesting band who have been around for a while. Uh, they were formed back, was it 2012, I yeah, think? Yeah, 2016, same time as Voices, actually. Um, um, and by Matt Moss, who's on vocals and programmed drums, and Kev Pearson, who plays guitars and bass. And so it was formed over there, over one evening, where they got together and were laughing about Sludge bands that were named after animals and thought that Slug was the perfect pun for this and that no one had used it. So they then decided to form this band, partially inspired by Agacocker because they loved the idea of being sexually in love with Satan. So they took this concept (laughs) and took it with the slug god, Molluska. So (laughs) slugs are an entertaining group of people and you'll see this in their song titles as well. But genuinely, they've created something really spectacular here. It's a really interesting example of sort of progressive, Lovecraftian themed death metal. Mm. And it... And it mixes... I think the thing that really stands out to me on this album is the guitars, the the riffing on this and the guitar melodies are so interesting and innovative and constantly doing something weird. At the same time, manages to be super heavy at various points and get some really sort of like traditional old school death metal moments. As well as some really progressive and really interesting... Like there's some amazing bass playing on this as well, like at the beginning of... The second track, I can't remember its name, but there's some Crop killer. Yeah, fantastic <laughs> bass playing at the beginning of that. So it, it hits so many different things and manages to be amazingly consistent through nearly an hour of this stuff. Um, and is all, you know, themed around this idea of submission to Molluska, this Lovecraftian slug, uh, slug god. But explores some, you know, quite dark themes throughout that. Uh, has also has one of the things I think is great, amazing program drums. They yes, sound yeah. fantastic. Like, I probably wouldn't have picked it out if I didn't know that they weren't programmed. Um, and particularly, something we spoke about on the last episode, with Rivers of Nile, with their, who also released an amazing album this year. And they do have an amazing drum performance on it, but the drums sometimes get a little bit clicky. And it's amazing to see someone do programmed drums on an album where there is some really fast double bass and stuff, and not fall into that trap of it sounding a bit too machine-like. It still feels real and alive and gives it that dynamic range. Yeah, so with this band, this is like their fourth album. Mm. And if you go back to their older stuff, you can see they've had a really good build of loads of the elements have just got better and better. As Rob was saying, the brand drums sound really good. Um, Matt's clean vocals, which are a really big part of this, mm. have got a lot better between albums to this point where a lot of the songs have these really bombastic clean choruses huge choruses yeah really sort of driving and they'll sometimes integrate with the harsher vocals but they always sound a little bit sinister there's always that like slight chanting element to it Um, but yeah and and the lyrics are really well written as well for those choruses things like um, this world was never yours to begin with and stuff like that is yeah really really nice thematically through that yeah I think particularly like the end of the Spectral Burrows has an amazing Mm -hmm. uh, like sort of clean vocal passage but actually Spectral Burrows is really interesting in the vocals of like he does like these kind of more spoken bits earlier on and makes a noise which I'm I can't work out whether that's like studio doctored on or not. Yeah. Where he like holds a note and then drops it massively yeah, 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 lower yeah. to a ridiculous pitch. Which yeah, yeah. I found that really like one of the bits early on. I was like, fucking hell, what is this vocalist doing? That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. And because you've got these like quite intricate guitar parts that are going on, this is certainly the most complex musically that Sludge have got from their previous yeah, pieces. Yeah. Which have been a bit a bit more sludgy, whereas this 
isn't really that sludgy well, anymore. I, it's, it's like, yeah, I can't really. I don't really see these guys as a sludge band no, at all. Like, no. I'd very much put them. Like, I think they really have a foot in like the tech death camp. Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, and apparently, Kevin Pearson, the guitarist, is is more of a tech death fan. He's a guy mm. who, like likes the kind of obscure type stuff. You know, I can totally see that in in yeah. the guitaring. Yeah. Although it's it's not as self indulgent on that front. There were some really good solos, but. Because I think Matt also writes a lot of the music, and he's got more of a kind of like I believe like punk and grind influence. Mm. There's a lot more kind of simplistic riffing in places that then gets technical and really neatly moves between that. And that's why all these songs are so kind of weird and engaging in that they're already different. Like yeah, e- yeah. every track on this album is really different. You can pick out each one for this full album and like. There might be a couple of points that are slightly less interesting, but generally speaking, every track on here, there are moments in it where I'm like, that's amazing. Like, I love this section. And most of them, like, go for the whole thing and think, yeah, that's perfect. And there's there's so many tracks where I have no idea how you could possibly improve what's been written here. Its highs are so impressive. It still has really heavy bits, and it will still have these, you know, fantastically interesting guitar parts where you're just interested to listen to what it's doing. Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly. And like also Matt's like scream vocals, really good. Yeah. He's got a really clear death metal scream, yeah. which nicely varies between lows and highs. Mm. Like yeah, they just it's a, one of those really great vocal performances, which is great in the it sort of covers a lot of stuff like the fact like there's one guy producing most of the rhythm section and so yeah. on. Yeah. Like it stops any of that because the vocals are so engaging, it stops you ever noticing, say, stuff you do with broken drums going like other oh, drum performances weirdly repetitive after a while because it, yeah that, it's always hitting the snare at the same yeah, pitch yeah, but yeah. because there's enough going on you never get caught in that kind of sound and yeah and they will vary it up between songs as well so like on Putrid Fairy Tale there's the sort of main bit that it gets into that and just feels like an old school death metal thing like sort yeah, of yeah. almost feels like something like Override the Overture by Dismember like it's got that feel to it but then on something like Salt Thrower and we will get into these pun titles in a bit um it actually slows it down a bit more and becomes a bit more sinister and explores, you know, the more sinister side of the, you know, slug cult theming of the album. Yeah. So it varies it up quite a lot throughout it. Like, uh, particularly the last two songs of the album get far more melodic and kind of, mm. like, more bleak sounding. There's something very sad about the ending to this yeah. album. Like, I think this is actually an interesting companion piece with voices of, like, yeah. two UK bands who have both obviously one having members of, of Akkoka, but like coming out of liking that kind of sound and then creating something very, very new and... <laughs> yeah, going in completely different directions with it. But yeah, creating that, creating something interesting with a bass, with like an original basses and voices are way beyond this, but of sort of like death metal and a little bit of black and a little bit of a few other yeah, influences. Yeah. And then just taking that to explore it in a different way. And the voices have left the genre completely, but Sludge have sort of taken that but then grafted it into their own weird version of progressive death metal but that doesn't really sound like much other progressive death metal yeah the thing I noticed with this as well is I I got a real old school Swedish death metal influence from it the Spectral Burrows which is a reference to the Spectral Sorrows by Edgesanti even has like a kind of synthy keyboard intro that reminds me of a track from that Edge of Sanity album. Yeah, there, yeah. There are these yeah. like really cool shout outs to that kind of world. And I love that old Swedish death metal sound because it keeps stuff like this this bit scarier and creepier. And yeah. just having echoes of that in it is really good to stop it getting lost in the kind of 
the more tech noodling end of things, which can sometimes lose some of the emotional. Yeah, depth. it has that unique feel to it that albums have, where it has this particular guitar tone. We're like, I haven't heard anything that's exactly like that combining these elements together. So yeah, it, yeah, they really feel like they've honed in on a particular sound now and got that like down to a T. Yeah, yeah. So we should probably get to the bit that's pissed off a lot of people with this. Uh, so, so this band is sort of like blown up with this album. Like they've been around mm. for ages, and because they're entirely a studio project and so on, they're mostly unknown. I think I briefly heard one of the older albums, mm. but it was one of these things like, like just never. Yeah, I never really delved into until I heard some tracks off of this like earlier this year. And the thing that's put people off, and I think this is kind of fucking ridiculous, is all the songs have pun, yeah. like <laughs> slug-based puns on metal titles, like Crop Killer rather than Body Counts Cop Killer, Salt Thrower over Bolt Thrower. Transylvanian Fungus over Transylvanian Hunger. And it's something uh, like, oh, this, this is too, like, people have said, oh, this is too silly. Be like... Death metal is inherently a bit yeah. silly. Like, and I, I love bands that are able to have a bit of a sense of humour about the whole thing. I, I think it's hilarious. I mean, some of the puns are really stretching the notion of pun, but I, st- I kind of, I kind of like that. The, the only one I take issue with is Slave Goo World because Slave New World by Sepultura is it's, already a really <laughs> bad pun on Brave yeah. New World. And this is now a pun on a pun. It's, it's too I, much. I feel that is so dumb that it's come round to being funny again. <laughs> and the, the idea that all of these are just based on slugs and slime and stuff adds an extra level of fun to it. Um, and they've, they've done this, you know, one of their previous albums is called Gastronomicon. Which Gastronomicon is an amazing title. I love that. So, and I, we were saying this earlier, we were chatting about this, there's silly song titles, but the album itself is definitely not silly. It's, it's really dark. It's, it's really quite serious and explores some interesting issues, despite it all being about, you know, bowing down before Malaska the Slug God. It When you listen to it, it doesn't feel silly. It feels as if... Oh, what if a slug god did come to earth and like, <laughs> do something? No, that would be a very serious thing. And it takes that and explores it through, you know, really solid death metal and doesn't get lost in just doing gimmicky, silly stuff. It just has silly song titles, and I'm all I'm all over that. <laughs> yeah, and it also has created the new kind of sport in death metal of can we come up with more song titles for this band <laughs> yeah. because there is inf- an infinity of puns for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, they've and, and they seem like really nice guys as well. Reading some of the interviews, just like sort of really entertaining and laid back um, and not taking themselves too seriously which is fun to see particularly when they are making amazing music it's like if I'd made this album I'd take it very seriously (laughs) because it's fucking great but you know they don't take it too seriously and they've been talking about for their next album how they want to you know this is quite technical particularly for them and they want to drop it back a bit and get a bit more sort of muddy and sludgy Uh, and then they said they want to use the song title Rain in Mud (laughs) so (laughs) We'll see see if that appears in the future. Mm. The other thing that's going to be interesting with them is because this has suddenly taken off, they've now formed into a live unit. They've they've recruited a bass player and a drummer so they can actually now tour these songs. And it'd be interesting to see with the next album if they record with a real drummer and, and, and what difference that kind of makes. So, yeah, I'm quite excited for a band that have been studio I think for their entire lifespan, yeah, suddenly yeah. going into the live realm, and if they can sort of bridge that gap. Yeah, I would love to see some of this stuff live. So we're yeah. lucky that we are in the UK where hopefully they will be touring.
So our number two album of this year is the second release by the supergroup Alkaloid, and the second appearance in the top five for Hannes Grossman. Yes, he's um, doing well. Yeah, yeah, he, he's had a very good year. So if you don't know Alkaloid, they are like a kind of German tech death supergroup um, featuring uh, Linus, who's the bass player from um, Obscura, among other mm. things, Hannes Grossman, who's myriad projects, yeah. stuff, yeah. Um, Morian, who's the vocal, primarily vocalist for Dark Fortress, mm. although I believe has like I don't know, it's, yeah, some of the members of Dark Fortress are also in Trypticon, so he's yeah, got a bit of connection yeah. to that world. Danny Tunker, who is kind of hired gun guitarist, but I think his main thing has been with Aborted for the time being, and then Christian Munzer, who is another sort of hired gun super guitarist who's been with Obscura Necrophagus, mm. many other Spawn of Possession, like many other kind of ultra tech projects so the band are kind of an amalgamation of a lot of those projects but what i've always liked about alkaloid which i think distances them from a lot of those is they're far more focused on the prog than the technical yeah so although this album is ludicrously complex and, and the previous one was massively massively complex it's more about the incorporation of ideas that are different to what other bands are doing but require such a level of technical precision to mm. execute. And like this album particularly, like we're going off in a very weird direction right from the get-go because the first track, Colonel Panic, sounds like Rush. <laughs> this is exactly what I was going to say. So my sort of theory is that Alkaloid, the way to explain Alkaloid is that they are the Rush of technical death metal. So to start off, they, you know, <laughs> just like Rush, they're incredibly nerdy. Oh my god. <laughs> they are, they are so into like doing these massive epic songs about science and um, you know well the rise of the cephalopods from the end of this and all sorts of weird stuff like Rush are with their crazy concept albums. Mm. They're as we've mentioned, they are phenomenal musicians, just like Rush. You know the drum performance on this is exceptional, um, but varied and interesting as yeah, well. Yeah. It doesn't just sit down in some of these places where you'll get technical albums where there's a drummer who is just holding stuff together. There's really weird stuff going on here, just like Rush. Um, same with the bass plan. Bass playing's phenomenal here. Yeah, yeah. Really helps help everything out. The the whole thing sounds enormous as well. I think this mm. has some of the biggest chugging I've ever heard on any album. Um, particularly when you get to something like Interstellar Boredom, there's like a chugging section on that in the build up on that, which is enormous. It sounds huge, and just like Rush can get that gigantic sound. It's also got really amazing grooves in it as well, like with intricate guitar playing mixing up with really nice and incredibly precise drums as well. Create these really intricate sections. It's got all these clean vocal sections as well, which are a little bit reminiscent of Rush. So I think that is the best way of understanding <laughs> what on earth Alkaloid is. Yeah, yeah. So it's an eight-track album. Like What they've done between this and their first album, which I quite like, is they've taken a lot of the albums of the first album, ideas from the first album and refined them into more complete pieces the mm. first album was a 12, 12 track thing where there was a lot of random ideas thrown at the wall and there was like certain tracks you're like oh that was just kind of weird whereas this like they sort of combined them together a bit yeah. more they, it's, it's a more co- coherently written album um the vocal performance is 
bizarre and brilliant. It moves yeah. from these high-pitched clean vocals, which kind of lead in Colonel Panic, to more guttural death metal, to more high-shrieking black metal. Yeah. Then this weird voice um, Maureen quite likes doing of like this kind of like rumbling, throaty, clean yeah, singing. this sort of raspy, clean thing that he does, which is almost, I think, through these two Alkaloid albums, becoming a signature of what he does here. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's sort of unmistakable, and it gives it just this different sonic texture in a lot of these places where pure death metal vocals just wouldn't work over what's going on, but it varies it up a bit, and it works really nicely in some of the building sections, like um, Interstellar Boredom, which is an amazing song, which like, yeah, yeah. builds up this whole thing of the idea of there's, you know, there's this thing that's out there in space, and it is growing, and, you know, these lines which are about, there's only one, only one of a species, but what good is one of anything, and it's slowly about this thing growing and becoming bigger and bigger and bigger, and the song gets madder and madder and madder as it goes on. And the integration of different vocal styles as it goes is great because it starts off with much cleaner, brings in this raspy a bit, and then the death metal bits begin to sort of seep in and they stab in in these little sections until the song just goes nuts towards the end. Yeah, yeah. I think as well there's some really riffy death metal influences as well. Mm. Like These guys clearly are massive fans of Morbid Angel, yeah. particularly in track two, as decreed by Laws Unwritten. Um, it's super reminiscent of... Um, Eyes that see, ears that hear, where oh, it does yeah, the yeah. same thing as the chorus of that, where it's like a scream vocal line and then quickly and like an echoed low voice clean vocal line, mm. and those like shifting in and out of each, like, sort of, if you're listening on headphones, like shifting left to right. And there's this, like, there is a, a real love of Morbid Angel. Like, there is something with Alkaloid, they all every album seems to have. The Morbid Angel <laughs> Worship track. Yeah, yeah. Which on this one you'd think would be Azagthoth, but it's not. It's no, actually the one before, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereas on the previous one, I think it was Thulu. It was Cthulhu, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the big one. And, and I think that hones in on something, which we, when we talked about Alkaloid before, was something that's really nice about them, is a lot of these technical bands, they go for a completely different sound from your original death metal, well, your older death metal bands like Morbid Angel, and they've sort of lost some of that heaviness and they're going for something different. Mm. Alkaloid definitely haven't. There are some incredibly heavy bits of this album, which, as you say, you know, feel like proper Morbid Angel. They haven't lost that super heaviness amongst all of these technical additions. Yeah, and they like, use a lot of the shredding to... Um to kind of build with that. Like, mm. a, I think Cellar Boredom is the one I'm thinking of. There's a moment yeah. where a guitar, there's like a chugging, hefty guitar passage where one of the guitarists is doing this very technical shred in the background, but it's just used, like, it's pound right to the far side and quite low in the mix. And it's just used to kind of confuse. Yes, as you know, yeah, like, no, yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. And like on the previous album, they've got these sort of, Riffs which almost feel like classic rock riffs. Yes, yes. And solos which feel like classic rock riffs amongst all of this, you know, pure death metal stuff. And they slot those together and you have these really different feelings throughout the album. Because you have those super heavy sections where it's just like proper death metal. And then you have a bit which is, you know, more sort of driving and a little bit more upbeat with the more clean style vocals. And then it will transition back and it, it just explores a lot more emotions than often a death metal or a technical death metal album will. And that's really refreshing to hear. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think like 
the the in, the intro track Colonel Panic or not intro the first track of the mm. album is very much um, sort of showing people this is what this band is yeah, yeah. you're either going to get on board or maybe this one won't be for you because it, yeah. it starts off so melodic and the first like proper riff in it is such a classic yeah, rock riff yeah like, it is <laughs> with these very clean vocals it eventually builds into death metal but I, I personally when I first heard it it just brought a smile to the face like this is not what I was expecting. No. <laughs> I love this. No, but then you get later on it, and you'll be like, "Actually, this bit's really heavy." Yeah, well, yeah, but like within like ten minutes of the album, like you're into massive chugging death metal. Yeah, yeah. And then you've some really exciting stuff towards the end. Like they get more of the kind of more traditional songs out of the way earlier, and then the last two tracks of the album mm. are. You have Chaos Theory and Practice, which is an amazing pun. Um, <laughs> I really like that. <laughs> um, but that seems to be leading on, and actually it's got a lot of lyrical back references and even back references of riffs to the four-parter of the previous oh, album. yeah, um, yeah, the um, Dyson Sphere. Yeah, the Dyson yeah. Sphere. And it's kind of like moving... Like it's, I think it's a continuation of the story mm, of Dyson mm. Sphere, but it's like this almost ten-minute-long hyper complex like very confusing death metal track but then we get the the kind of like I don't know the highlight of the album but just this kind of amazing even towards the end of the 20 minute epic Rise of the Keflopods it's it's fantastic which is a continuation of Funeral for a Continent from the first album and it's yeah it's it's this enormous majestic piece and you know it's a 20 minute long song with a tech band you can get a bit bogged down and then be not much going on but the song takes you on such a journey starting with these like cleaner acoustic guitars and building and because they have all of these techniques they can use they have varied up vocals they'll use you know guitar shredding in a way which is completely different to how anyone else would use it like as a background instrument They've got all of this, you know, fantastic drum stuff where, like, fills will build up slowly and, like, build up that pace as it Mm. goes on. You know, they can build one of these gigantic tracks like no one else can because every single element can be used for that build. Yeah, and and it's, like, sort of totally taken what was, like, so the... Uh, Funeral for a Continent was like a 12 minute long epic yeah. and he's taken a lot of those ideas and just stretched them he, like as Rob says he's got, you've got this like clean tone guitar to start with some very clean vocals mm. and that just gets more like gradually more things coming and it gets heavier and heavier yeah. and then you've got great rises and falls in the album like brilliant melodic choruses yeah, yeah. it's definitely the big cheesy moment of the album yes. I'd say <laughs> yeah but they, they and that's one of the things that's so nice like if you don't get on with that then that's fair enough but the way that they managed to mix that seamlessly with like properly punishing death metal is I think wonderful yeah I, I think it's, it's just really fun and it's one of those albums where it's a bit over an hour and it just goes by like you mm. you do not get bored in this because there's so much happening and with the sort of performances as well, like we've mentioned that all of these people are virtuoso musicians. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And a bit, the bits that really stood out to me is with the guitar parts as well, with the riffs as they go through. Like we were mentioning with another band earlier, I think there's like tiny little things that they'll do to change it slightly. You know, there'll be a little difference in the vibrato, or the, there'll be a little fill in it, or there'll be slight dissonance when the riffs lock mm. into each other, which wasn't there before which is just those tiny little touches which mean that every little bit is varied and interesting. And it's it's rarely just the same riff over and over again. There's always something that's slightly different which you can key in on if you really listen to it. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's something that I do find, uh, I think, really charming about the album, but every so often the lyrics do make me laugh. Like, where you yep. just catch a, yep. a very over-the-top scientific phrase. <laughs> the first I caught was in Colonel Panic. I just heard... 
lysergic amino acids being <laughs> sung in a very like melodic yeah, voice yeah. <laughs> like that always caught me off guard yeah uh, the, the quote that i've got down from the lyrics is uh, to rekindle degenerate electrons mm. i have no idea what that's meant to mean but it's you know it's it's sort of it's science-based stuff but it leans in that sci-fi direction and oh yeah it all goes a bit mad and like i'm on board with that like i'm happy for you to take <laughs> that and run with it and make like you know this sci-fi epic i, I think it's definitely in the camp of soft sci-fi rather than hard but it's soft yeah. sci-fi that references science i don't yes. yeah, but yeah. I, I don't think it's particularly accurate but no. yeah yeah liquid anatomy is definitely one of those um those albums that is just massively complex and engaging mm. but it's just still got its head in the right place of not losing sight of the catchiness not losing not just like losing sight of engaging with the listener like the solos are really memorable for the most part. They, mm. they're both Danny and Christian are amazing at writing melodic yet technical solos. So yeah, it, this is just like the perfect album for someone who's into the extreme music but wants brilliant performances. If that's the thing you're really looking for in music, like the great musicianship, this mm. band are one of the best for it because they don't. And disappear up there and arse with it. Which... Exactly, I was going to say a thing. Like, it seems like a band that is either devoid of ego or, or just has no problems managing it at all. Because, as you said, you know, soloing and stuff will be used as a background thing. You can imagine a guitarist be like, "No, I've done a solo. You need to put that up there so people can hear it." But they're happy to use that to serve the music and the song overall. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That that that's that's really brave to do and difficult to do. I'm sure, but they've they've done it, and it really helps you get that feel of the song is more important than any individual performance, which yeah. means that all the individual performances come together to produce something that's greater than the sum of its parts. Yeah, exactly. And it is very rare for supergroups like this. Yeah. And somehow Hannah's Grossman's in two of these supergroups this year. <laughs> yeah, very impressive. Yeah. So I think from this we're going to play a bit of As Decreed by Laws Unwritten.
number one on our top 20 albums of 2018. Top 10. Top 10. Top, well, <laughs> yeah, we made top 20s, but this is our top 10. And um, this is an album that Phil has already spoken about. So I was going to start off just giving my impressions of it. And it is Panopticon, uh, The Scars of Man on the Once Nameless Wilds, part one and two. Mm. So this is a really interesting album. Um, and I came to it relatively late in the year. And it, it is, it's a weird combination of what is like quite melodic but still punishing black metal on the sort of first section of the album, combined with sort of Americana country music with influences of shoegaze and post-rock, and it's got banjos in it and different instruments and different feels in that section, um, and changing from your more traditional screamed black metal vocals on the first half to these, you know, low-resonant um, country vocals on the second bit. And I found this really, really interesting because I was a huge, well, I'm still a huge fan of Agalock, who have sadly disbanded now. And they were one of those bands which I felt through black metal were able to connect you with sort of the wider world and the beauty of nature and wilderness. Um, and as mm. Agalock have gone, that there was sort of a gap there where I didn't have any bands that I felt did that in the same way that they did. And getting into this album, because I wasn't into Panopticon beforehand, has been just like that. And and that's very intentional from their part. Austin Lunn, who is the one man behind all of this, who plays everything and masterminds the whole project, this whole album is about the ideas of the wilderness and trying to find time to be alone in a modern world where that's really difficult. It's inspired by the writings of Sigurd Olsen, who was an author and environmentalist who was part of the, in America, the 1964 Wilderness Act, which was places that could be untouched and untroubled by man. And the whole idea of this album, in a way, is to represent that idea of the wilderness and the wild, but also the loss of it. So it's a very sad album, and you can hear that both in the black metal parts and in the more sort of country-influenced parts as well. But the black metal, I feel, is really important for this. It's much more aggressive and pure black metal than Agalock ever was, so it feels yeah, very yeah. different. And I feel the bit that it gets across, which I've never really had a band do it in the same way, is taking that beauty of the wild and the wild places in the world and the wilderness with the melodic sections, particularly the melodic guitars, even in the black metal sections, are just these beautiful melodic um, sort of verses that have been written and mixing that with, you know, the punishing nature of black metal and that the wild is brutal and aggressive and, you know, actually wild. And black metal can do that in a way that I think no other genre can. It can hold those amazingly epic but beautiful moments which are also you know gnarly and aggressive and raw at the same time and this album combines those beautifully you know it's a gigantic album it's nearly two hours long if you listen to both parts which you should do the right way to listen to this i think is to play it as one full yeah. piece but i think it gives you it's such a beautiful sort of connection to the natural world through a genre of music that can do it in a way that no other genre can um, with that sadness in there as well because black metal can do that it can put that overarching atmosphere of sadness through something that is on the face of it just quite aggressive mainly through a lot of these guitar melodies which are you know just quite sad over the top of this punishing black metal so yeah I found this was a really interesting album emotionally to engage with and gave me that feeling like first finding Agalog but it does this in a way which is really aggressive and then, like Agalot would take, and like lots of black metal bands take sort of, you know, more traditional folk music and acoustic guitars and other instruments and mix that in with black metal, which is, you know, so common it's almost a trope now. What the Austin has done in Panopticon is taken, you know, more American-influenced country music yeah, and yeah. done the same thing with that. And it's it sort of, when you listen to it, you think, why has no one done this? Or, or yeah, this, he, uh, Someone probably has done it before, but, you know, why isn't this more of a thing? Why isn't this common in American black metal bands? It fits so naturally. 
and with the idea of exploring, you know, the wilderness and the wild and the natural world, it seems so obvious to do that. Yeah, yeah. But the nice thing he's done as well is, you know, some of the songs on this, like, um, oh, his name, this one which is about um, a ghost, and it's just sort of like a pure country song you can imagine here. Oh, Wandering Ghost. Yeah, That's yeah. it, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, you could just hear that sitting around a fire, and yet somehow it, he's managed to make it thematically consistent with the you know black metal side of the album. That's yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, the the way the two blend together, incredible. Yeah, if you want my thoughts on it, go back to the mm. start of three episodes back. Yeah. Like uh, I talk about it for about twenty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing we should state with this is this is nothing new for this band. Strictly, like mm. he's been doing this kind of sound for years. Me and Rob are just completely ignorant of them. Yeah, like yeah. apparently they're like got very big in America in the same way Wolves in the Throne Room have kind of taken off mm. and post like doing the research for all the kind of year end stuff we're almost certainly going to go back and delve into albums like Kentucky and a few of the others around yeah. that point yeah definitely because um, I think they're really like a really interesting project who I've clearly been completely missing yeah. yeah yeah well it's one of those things you find when you look for this the same thing with um, Sluggage as well it's one of those bands that have been around for a while and then, just for whatever reason, this year they have really surfaced. Well, no, dude, it's not that they've surfaced. Isn't it? they're, they're the famous as fuck. Oh, really? We, we're just idiots. <laughs> we just missed it. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no. They're, they're really famous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, the, the other thing to say about this album is, and I know there have been some disagreements with some people and some <laughs> on this, um, but I think the production is exceptional. Um, I love it. Particularly with the drums is the thing I really noticed. So mm. the bass drum is really, really clear on this. Um and feels really real and natural, the same with the snare drum, which is, you know, quite a tight sounding snare drum because there are these blast beat sections to it and it's difficult to have a snare drum that isn't fairly tight. But it's really, really clear. It never gets lost, but it still has all the impact that it needs for these blast beat and these much more aggressive sections. Um, and I think the whole thing comes together sounding really natural and, and organic and it it, it doesn't nec- it doesn't really sound evil like a lot of black metal does sound no evil, but I, I don't think this does it feels again it, it sort of comes back to the idea of the natural world but it feels organic and lived in it feels like people are there actually playing it but there's something, something about it as well which is quite interesting so the sound is clearly heavily influenced by Wilson and Froman mm. but if you compare this sound to an album like Two Hunters Two Hunters is scary yeah. Two, yeah. Two Hunters if you play that to yourself in a dark room you're going to get creeped out you play this to yourself in a dark room you're going to get sad Um, it's it's quite interesting how the sounds can be so similar and interlinked but they've gone in a completely different emotional direction and just reinterpret it in a way Um, and one of the things I love about this as well is reading some interviews with Austin uh, the guy behind the whole thing one of my favourite quotes from him is um, I think people take black metal way too seriously (laughs) after making this gigantic you know double album with loads of black metal and country influences he's still sort of like yeah some people take this a bit too far (laughs) which I love because it's similar to what we were talking about with Slug is that you know you can create all this stuff and you can take it really really seriously but it takes something to be able to step back from that create something that is beautiful but not take the whole thing incredibly seriously despite exploring and particularly on this album really serious concepts and ideas about yeah, the loss yeah. of the natural world and difficulty finding you know silence in everyday life uh, feeds into the name panopticon as well which was a prison idea proposed by the philosopher jeremy bentham where there's a central watchtower Everyone is in rooms around it, so the person in the central watchtower, who is the authority figure, could theoretically see any of them at any point, but they could never see them. Mm. So the idea that you could be being surveyed at any time, but you'd have no idea of knowing it, and it's a way of causing people to police themselves. 
So Austin links this to with media and social media the way it is, how we sort of police ourselves in modern society because you can theoretically be being observed when you do anything, like when you're talking on a heavy metal podcast about yeah, yeah. black metal. <laughs> you're like, you know, it, it's that thing. And I think it explores really sort of serious and interesting issues um, in a modern context as well. Uh, but at the same time, you know, he's not someone who's going to take this whole thing ridiculously seriously. It seems like quite a nice guy from the interviews I've read. So that, yeah, that's, no, he that's, that's like always nice, actually. Yeah, yeah. I think the and I think more like quite like that. What he's getting at is black metal. Definitely of the metal subgenres has the most toxic fan base. Like, yeah, it's yeah. It, it is a heated community. Mm. Whereas like the death metal community maybe gets a bit too macho, but for the most part. Pretty nice guys. Yeah, yeah. People are a bit more relaxed there, like slugs and stuff like that. People <laughs> yeah, people are yeah. willing to have a bit more of a laugh with the whole thing, um, which is nice, even when you do explore serious things. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, like as I say, if you want to hear my thoughts, go back a couple of episodes. Mm. But so I think the the slight disagreement we had was well. I'd say this was your actual album of the year. It was my number one. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and mine was actually Alkaloid. I think, but yeah, I think this yeah. is my number three. I might I might have put Sludge Time in this as well. I can't remember now. Which I think is why it's gotten them. Yeah, because this okay, one yeah, yeah. won num- number one. Like, yeah, whatever, whatever reason. <laughs> yeah, this one won number one without <laughs> without us having to debate it. Which was yeah, nice. yeah, it's good. And there's and there's really nice touches on this that I really like. The use of sort of subtle keyboards and bird song and fires crackling and stuff. It it just really helps round it out and again make it feel real. It feels mm. like a really real album, despite. And there's an interesting, I think, point which I read in some. Um, around some a review above this album where someone was saying the you know the whole idea of this is of the wild the wilderness and how it's a valuable thing for people and for all of us to find that time to be alone in the natural world but at the same time this whole thing you know is recorded through modern computers and through electric instruments and yeah, yeah. and you know there's an interesting contradiction in there i don't i don't i don't really think it's a contradiction of any of the messages of the album but it's an interesting yeah. thing to think about but having that bird song and that cr- crackling fire it really grounds it in what the album is talking about and I, yeah small touches but really nice touches yeah I think. yeah definitely yeah I, th- I think it's probably about about it for uh panopticon like i think yeah. it's a totally worthy winner around the year although really with the top three especially these yeah. were all absolutely excellent yeah. there it was quite hard choosing kind of particularly the best albums this year. Yeah, I think I shuffled my list order around loads and you're still never quite happy with it because we both put together top 20s and you're like, well, should that be one place higher or that one? Yeah. It's it, hard. It's one of those things as well because you're always doing it as the year goes on. So a lot of these albums that came out right towards the end of the year, we've not had time to digest properly. Mm. But um, yeah, I, I, I think I think 2018's been another amazing year for metal. Fantastic, like, yeah. Bands are still like constantly pushing genres forward or just making amazing statements and stuff that's already been done but um mm. like yeah it's it's just been really really enjoyable um sort of going through this once again like there's so yeah. so much cool stuff we haven't got to cover or we were covered on the previous episode and there's loads we miss like i'm always at this time of year like looking forward to other podcasts and outlets doing their lists to yeah, see yeah. what awesome bands from all around the world I've totally missed. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, it's, there's so much stuff out there these days. This is brought home every year. There are so many things. It's just impossible to see all of it. But you will be able to go back and rediscover it. You might not yeah. find it in that year, but if there's something amazing, chances are you'll find it at some point. So there's always new things to discover. Um, and, you know, I remember seeing some articles this year it always comes around every year of people saying, you know, rock is dead and stuff like that. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Well, metal certainly isn't. You know, there's so much interesting stuff. And I think all, almost everything in this top 10 list that we've done 
is some form of combining genres in some way and making something new and interesting through weird combinations that people haven't tried before. And I think we've talked about that in previous years, but that's still something which is really pushing metal forwards as a genre, is taking bits and remixing them together and seeing what comes out of it and perfecting that at this point of a lot of these albums. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this will be it for this year for us. Um, we'll probably be back in January with some more podcasts, yeah, though. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, follow us on Facebook at Phil's Breakfast Metal. Contact us on Twitter at Breakfast Metal. If you want to get in touch with our email, it's philsbreakfastmetal at gmail.com. And, um, yeah, rate, us, rate and review us on iTunes or just share, share us with your friends. Also, get in touch and let us know what you've been listening to this year. Yeah. What, what have we missed? What, um, what do you think should be higher in our list? Like, from the previous show as well, there's, there's, there's loads of stuff of albums we've listened to in less detail or albums that maybe got bored as the year went on. But any of those ones you, like, really loved. Mm. Just get in touch and let us know what you've enjoyed. Um, yeah, because I mean, no one or no two people could ever find all of this stuff. So guaranteed, people listening to this will think we'll have found things that are amazing and we'll kick ourselves for having missed it off the list. Yeah, later. exactly. So, yeah. It's yeah. always hard to do this as the year goes on because you're trying to summarise it while you're still in it yeah, almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 